I had plans of, uh, as I finished up Second Timothy, that uh, my intentions were to uh, go into Colossians. And that was about six, seven weeks ago. And as the six, seven weeks rolled around, uh, there was some strong indicators that I got that this was what I was to do. And I have to be honest with you, I I knew where Philemon was. I had maybe read a couple of verses out of it over the years. But uh, tonight, I'm going to, I spent a, everything that I can find written on the tooth for today, everything that I can find written anywhere about it. And we're going to take on the book of Philemon. It's the 57th book out of 66 books in the Bible. Or, in other words, it's the 18th book in the New Testament. It comes immediately after 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. The question is, how did it ever get itself into the collection of Paul's letters? This little letter to Philemon is unique. If there ever was a letter that was written that was a gracious letter, it was the letter to Philemon. It does not deal with any great doctrine, or it does not attack any great misbelief. It's the only private letter of Paul. Apostle Paul, which we possess. I would only guess that Paul must have written many private or individual letters, but of the private letters, only Philemon is the only letter to survive. The question is why or how did this little letter, this single sheet of paper, survive all these years? Philemon is a story of a runaway slave named Onesimus, who possibly was a problem slave, or possibly he was a thief. It tells us that Philemon, in verses 18 and 19, Paul wrote, If Onesimus was wronged thee, or owes thee anything, put that on my account. Verse 19 in Philemon I, Paul, am writing with mine own hand, I will repay it, not to mention to you that you owe me even your own self besides. So if Onesimus has done you any damage, or if Onesimus owes you something, put it down on my account. I, Paul, will repay it. Somehow the runaway slave had found his home, had found his way to Rome. It was from where he was, Colossae to Rome, it was approximately 1,300 miles from his home in Colossae to lose himself in the busy streets of what we call, remember, the great city of Rome. Somehow Onesimus came into contact with Paul, and somehow Onesimus 
had become a Christian. Then something must have happened. It was very tough for Paul to go on sheltering a runaway slave, and somehow, whatever did happen, evidently, brought the problem of dealing with a runaway slave to a head. Possibly it was a coming or showing up on the scene of a fellow by the name of Epaphras. It may have been that Epaphras recognized the runaway slave Onesimus as a slave whom he had seen at Colossae. Or it may be that the coming of Epaphras, the conscience of Onesimus may have moved him to make a clean plate of all his past. Okay then, who was this fellow Epaphras? How was he connected to Paul? Uh, whoever's running the... Uh, Tony, is that you tonight? Uh, uh, Colossians 1, verse 7 and 8. So if you'd go to, please. Colossians 1. Got a couple of references here I want to refer to about this fellow named Epaphras. Colossians 1, 7 and 8. Verse 7. As you also learned of Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who was... For you, a faithful minister of Christ on Paul's behalf. Colossians 1.8 also declared unto us your love in the Spirit. Now, this could be interpreted to refer to someone who faithfully ministered to Paul's needs in prison, or it could be interpreted to mean that Epaphras was a faithful minister of the gospel to the Colossians on behalf of Paul as someone that associated with Paul. But either way, there was a close bond between Paul and this fellow named Epaphras. The next reference, Tony, if you would do, is Colossians chapter 4, verse 12. Colossians 4, verse 12. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, salutes you always, laboring fervently for you in prayers that you may stand perfect and complete and all the will of God. Okay, Epaphras stands out in Colossians as a very important person. I think you could honestly say that he was the main link between Paul and the Colossian church. He evidently was a key person who had originally preached the gospel to the Colossians. Epaphras was a Christian preacher who spread the gospel to his fellow Colossian Citizens, He's the one who had informed Paul about the conditions in Colossae, how the believers were doing, and if there were any issues or problems that could be undermining the ministry that Paul had built. In Colossians 4.12, Paul says that Epaphras was a slave of Christ Jesus. In other words... Epaphras, by the use of the word slave, speaks of him being owned and possessed by Jesus Christ. He was always striving for you in the prayers. He prayed that God would establish them as perfect ones and fully assured ones in God's will. When Paul was a prisoner in Rome, Epaphras came to Paul with a favorable account of the church at Colossae. 
Epaphras remained with Paul in Rome and was in a sense his fellow prisoner. The book of Philemon is only one of Paul's significant letters that was written to an individual person. It's the only one. Paul certainly shows his personality in writing this short letter. Now, I want, there's some things I want you to notice as we go through this. It was Paul's love, Paul's respect even for a slave, and Paul's kindness. All of these apparently wrapped up in the way Paul wrote this letter. Reminding us that the very presence of Christ will drastically change every relationship in our life. Philemon is the shortest and most personal of Paul's four epistles that Paul wrote after the end of Acts. It is made up of 25 verses, or you could say one chapter with 25 verses. And Philemon was written while Paul was in prison in Rome. It's a part of the group of scriptures made up of the prison epistles, Ephesians, Philippians, <coughs> Colossians, and Second Timothy. <coughs> Tony, if you would, uh, at this time I'd like to, I've never done it this way, but could you bring up the whole book of uh, Philemon, uh, all 25 verses, uh, I don't care if you want to do 10 at a time or whatever you want to do. We'll start with verse 1, Philemon 1, verse 1. I'll start, it said, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, and Timothy, our brother, and to Philemon, our dearly beloved and fellow laborer. Verse 2. And to our beloved Althea, Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in thy house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God, making mention of thee always in my prayers. Verse 5. Hearing of thy love and faith, which thou hast toward the Lord Jesus and toward all saints that the communication of thy faith may become effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. Verse 7, For we have great joy and consolation in thy love, because the bowels of the saints are refreshed by thee, brother. Verse 8, Wherefore, though I might be much bold in Christ to enjoy thee that which is covenant, Yet for love's sake I rather beseech thee, being such as one as Paul the aged, and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ. I beseech thee for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my bounds, which in time past was to thee unprofitable, but now profitable to thee and to me, whom I have sent again, thou therefore receive him that is mine own bowels whom I would have re retained with me, that in the stead he might have ministered unto me in the bonds of the gospel. Verse 14. But without thy mind would I do nothing, that thy benefit should not be, as it were, of necessity, but willingly. 
For perhaps he therefore departed for a season, that thou shouldest receive him forever. Verse 16. Now, but not now as a servant, but above a servant, a brother beloved, especially to me. But how much more thee unto both of the flesh and of the Lord? If thou count me therefore a partner, I receive him as myself. If he hath wronged thee, or owes thee aught, but that in my own account, put it on my own account. I, Paul, have written it with mine own hand. I will repay it. Albeit, I do not say to thee how thou owes me unto me, even thine own self besides. Yea, brother, let me have a joy in thee in the Lord. Refresh my bowels in the Lord. Verse 21. Having confidence in thy obedience, I wrote unto thee, knowing that thou wilt also do more than I say. But withal prepare me into a lodging, for I trust that through your prayers I shall be given unto you. There, salute thee, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, Marcus, Articus, Demas, Lucas, my fellow laborers. Verse 25. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Philemon, the book of Philemon is as much a part of the scriptures as Ephesians. But, the reason we speak of the four, one, two, three, four, prison epistles and not of the five prison epistles is because The four prison epistles contain definite teachings concerning the dispensation of the mystery. And the four epistles form the basis of our hope and our calling. While the book of Philemon, as valuable as it is, does not really contribute anything specific that is not explained in any more detail in the other four epistles, I want you to keep in mind as we go through this during this study, that the individual Philemon, as we talk about this guy, was a convert of the Apostle Paul. Philemon lived in Colossae. Philemon was evidently a financially strong person or a well-to-do person, any way you want to put it. Philemon's house was large enough to accept all the members of the Colossae uh, group. Philemon had slaves, and among them, one of the slaves' name was Onesimus. Now, here's the, when we get when you hear the word Onesimus in Greek, it literally means useful or profitable. Again, this is the shortest of the four epistles that Paul wrote while he was in prison in Rome. The similarity between Ephesians and Colossians suggests that they were probably written about the same time. The evidence indicates to us that Tychius was the one who had the responsibility of delivering these epistles to both the Ephesians and to the Colossians. So who was this fellow named Tychius? Here's an interesting thing. Tychius' name was used seven times in the New Testament. Tychius was a Christian from the area of Asia. He was also a faithful friend and a fellow worker and a messenger of the Apostle Paul. 
Zacchaeus often traveled ahead of Paul from Macedonia to Treos, for he waited for the Apostle Paul to arrive back in Acts 20. Paul sent Zacchaeus to be with Titus while Titus was in Crete. Paul also sent Zacchaeus to Ephesus to deliver and to possibly read Paul's epistle to the Christians in that city. As he tells us in Colossians, or Ephesians 6, 21 and 22. Tony, would you go to Ephesians chapter 6, 21 and 22, please. But that you also may know my affairs and how I do. Tychias, a beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, shall make known to you, listen to me, all things. Man, that's, that's really being open. Whom I have sent unto you for the same purpose, that you might know our affairs, and that he might comfort your hearts. Now, the next reference I'd like for you to go to, uh, Tony, is Colossians chapter 4. 7 through 9. Colossians 4, 7 through 9. We're going to key in on verse 9. All my state shall Tychias declare unto you, who is beloved brother and a faithful minister and a servant of the Lord. Verse 8. Whom I have sent unto you for the same purpose that he might know your estate and comfort your hearts. Verse 9. With Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they shall make known unto you all things which are done here. Both Tychias the Asian, that's what he's referred to in other places, who was a faithful friend, a fellow worker, and was often used as a messenger, and Onesimus was the runaway slave that had the responsibility of giving the Colossians the news about Paul's circumstances and what was going on in Paul while he was in prison. Pretty much all the facts here indicate that at the same time as the Apostle to Philemon was written, the Apostle to the Colossians was also written. It was obviously delivered to Philemon by Tychius, and Onesimus. At the same time, they delivered the Colossian epistle. It was probably written during the first half of Paul's Roman imprisonment, somewhere around approximately A.D. 60. Onesimus, for some reason, ran away from his master Philemon, and most likely Onesimus was a problem slave, or possibly he was a thief, as I said before who had robbed his master Philemon and took off from Colossae and traveled to Rome, approximately 1,300 miles from Colossae. That would be a very similar distance from like Chicago, Illinois to Miami, Florida. Rome is where Onesimus either met the Apostle Paul or Rome is where he came in contact with Paul as a prisoner and possibly renewed his friendship with Paul. Onesimus was won over to Christ Jesus. Remember that Onesimus, the slave's master, was Philemon, who was a convert of the Apostle Paul, which I told you that other time. 
In the short time that Onesimus had been with Paul, Onesimus had made himself, according to the records, very nearly indispensable to Paul. And Paul would like to have kept him, but Paul wrote that he would do nothing without the consent of Philemon. Onesimus' master. So Paul sends him back to Colossae, 1,300 miles. Keep in mind, that no one better than Paul knew how great a risk that Paul was sending Onesimus back to Philemon. Because in Rome, a slave was not a person. He was considered as a living tool, T-O-O-L, a master who had absolute power over his slaves. And this is something I didn't know, but in the Roman Empire, at that time, this all happened, there were approximately 60 million slaves. And the danger of revolt was constantly to be guarded against. Slavery was an important part of the ancient world. The whole society in Rome was built on it. And if a slave should run away and get caught, at best, he or she could be branded with a red-hot iron on their forehead with the letter F standing for a runaway fugitive. And at the worst situation, the runaway slave could be crucified to death. While it was Philemon's legal right in the ancient world to punish or even to kill a runaway slave, Paul hoped Actually, he expected that Philemon would receive Onesimus back as a brother in the Lord and not as a slave. I want you to notice from the beginning to the end of the book of Philemon that Paul addresses Philemon the slave owner as a trusted friend rather than as a rival or an enemy. Paul knew all this and to send Onesimus back to the Christian Philemon who was evidently a wealthy individual, was a considerable risk. Onesimus was a slave which must run away, and now Onesimus was a slave coming back. But now Onesimus was not only a slave, Onesimus was also a beloved brother in the Lord. The very use of the words master and slave become irrelevant. If the master treats the slave as Christ would have treated him, and if the slave serves the master as he would serve Christ, then it does not matter if you call the one master their relationship does not does not on human classification for you are both are in Christ. What Christianity did here was to introduce a new relationship between one man and another man, in which all external differences were eliminated. Christians are in one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slaves or freemen. The thought is that by means of one spirit, we were all baptized and put into the end to be identified with the one body of Christ. The passive voice makes it clear that there is no way to become a member of the body of Christ, the true church, 
apart from being placed in it and identified with it by the Holy Spirit. Even though God had been partial to Abraham and his children in the past and will be in the future, at the present time during this dispensational age, there is no difference between the Jew and Gentiles. Passages of scripture which say to the Jew first and to the Gentile refer to first in time and not to priority. It does not make any difference whether individuals are Jews or Gentiles, whether they are slave or free men. The Holy Spirit places them into the body of Christ on the basis of their faith in Jesus Christ. As we're going to be going through Philemon, I'm asking you to keep in mind that this letter was written by Paul to Philemon. It was a private letter. It was written just before the time when Paul sent Onesimus to the runaway slave back to his owner Philemon. I want you to notice in this letter that Paul says nothing in this letter about the whole matter of slavery. It may well be that Paul accepted the institution of slavery because it was almost impossible to imagine society or the Roman Empire without it. The letter was written to urge Philemon to receive Onassis back as a Christian receives a brother. Both Ephesians and Colossians were written while Paul was in prison in Rome. And most likely, these scriptures were written while Onassis was with Paul. And it's really difficult for me not to think that Paul and Onassimus' conversations owe a lot to what was written in Ephesians and Colossians. Because in these two letters, there are two sets of passages that refer to slaves and masters. And they're probably due to the long talks that Paul had with the runaway slave Onassimus. These two sets of scriptures are uh, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 5 through 9. Tony will, will turn to that in just a minute. Ephesians 6, 5 through 9. And the second one was Colossians 3, 22 to Colossians 4, 1. Which Paul in these two scriptures sets out the duties of slaves and he sets out the duties of masters. As we read a steady Philemon, again I'm asking you to keep in mind that there were approximately 60 million slaves in the Roman Empire at this time in history. Slavery was very common back in those days. Practically all the empires had slaves. Slavery was even practiced in Israel. Some of the captured enemies were made into slaves. But even among us themselves there was slavery. If a man owned, owed a great sum of money and he could not pay it back, that is when or why he just become a servant or a slave and he worked it out. It was a slave that Onassimus ran away and it was a slave that Onassimus was coming back to Philemon. But now he was not only a slave, Onassimus was a beloved brother in the Lord. When a relationship like that enters into your life, Social grades and classes cease to matter. 
and the very names master and slave become irrelevant. If the master treats the slave as Christ would have treated him, and if the slave serves the master as he would serve Christ, then it does not matter. If you call the one master and the other slave, their relationship does not depend on any human classification, for they're both in Christ. One thing that Christianity in the early days knew, that was not to attack slavery. To have done so would have been disastrous. But it introduced a new kind of relationship which the human grace and society ceased to matter. It is to be noted that this new relationship never gave the slave the right to take advantage of it. Instead, it made rather a better slave and a more efficient servant. For now he must do things in such a way that he could offer them to Christ. Nor did it mean that the master must be soft and easygoing. But it did mean that he no longer treated any servant as a thing, but as a brother in Christ. Paul usually spoke of himself as a servant of the Lord and a bond slave. Therefore, the master had absolute rule over him. A bond slave could be sold, or if he did something wrong, his master could kill him. And the master was perfectly within the limit of the law. So when Paul spoke of himself as being a bond slave of the Lord, it literally meant that he was absolutely, in every respect, a bond slave of or to the Lord. Paul explains to Onesimus in the book of Ephesians and Colossians how Christian slaves are to relate to their masters. The first set of passages that deal with slaves and masters is, uh, did you get it up there, kiddo? Yes. Oh, you did. Good, thank you, Tony. Good man. Uh, Ephesians 6, 5 through 9. Ephesians 6, 5 through 9. There you go. Verse 5. Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters, according to the flesh. Fear and trembling and singleness of your heart as unto Christ, not with eye service, as men pleasers would do, but as the servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. Verse 7 with good will doing service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whosoever good thing any man doeth, the same shall receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. And you masters do the same things unto them, forbearing, threatening, knowing that your master also is in heaven, neither is there respect of persons with him. Now, get you to keep this in mind, I'm asking you to, each one of you to keep these verses in mind as I'll go over them in a couple of minutes. Let us read the next set of verses in Colossians that Paul wrote about slaves and their masters. And this is in uh, Colossians 3.22 to Colossians 4, verse 1. It says, the first set of passages is in Colossians and it also deals with slaves and masters. 
Colossians 3.22 Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh. Not with eye service as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. Verse 23 And whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord, and not unto men. Verse 24, knowing that of the Lord you shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ Jesus. But he shall receive for the wrong which he has done, and there is no respect of persons. Colossians 4.1, which is the next verse after that. Masters, give unto your servants that which is just and equal knowing that you also have a master in heaven. <clears throat> now that we have read the two sets of scripture, let us look a little closer at Ephesians 6.5. Paul is relating how Christian slaves are to relate to their masters. Paul is ordering Christian slaves to be obedient, or to, in other words, to obey their masters according to the flesh, which literally means that they are to continuously listen to their orders. They are to pay attention to instructions. And by all means, they are to obey the commands of the masters. And in 6.5, they are to do it with, listen to me, fear and trembling. Paul uses these two words, fear and trembling, together four times in his epistles. There is no question about it. Paul is telling these slaves that they are to fear and tremble at the thought of disobedience because of their consequences it would bring them as slaves in their earthly masters and also from their heavenly master. As the Christian slaves obey their masters with fear and trembling, Paul says that they are to do it in singleness of your heart as unto Christ. Now the Greek word for singleness literally means that which is simple, with an unmixed heart, which means that you would have only one single purpose in mind, one desire, one object to obedience to the masters as to Christ. In other words, Paul does not want them to hold in reserve optional mindsets like having half-hearted comments and alternate allegiance to their masters. Instead, they are to be 100% committed to exactly obeying their earthly masters, even as they are exactly to obey Christ. Okay, now let's look at Ephesians 6.6 and compare it to Colossians 3.22. Not with eye service, as men pleasers do, but as the servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. The Greek word here that is translated eye service the first time this word was used in scripture was Ephesians 6.6. 6. It is not found in the Septuagint nor any other Bible literature prior to the time that Paul's use of it. Paul uses the words eye service two times in his epistles. The second time it was used was in Colossians 3.22. It says, Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men-pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. 
See, Paul understood, and he was well acquainted with it, very familiar with the various ways slaves took advantage of their masters. Because of this, Paul tells them that their obedience is not to be in eye service or in men pleasers. The Greek word translated eye service means service made to just please the eye, serving service, serving faithfully while the master is watching. The Greek word translated men pleasers defines the slave who works hard while his master is watching. He really does not have a genuine interest in what he's doing, but is only interested in making a good impression while the master or the overseer is present. Men pleasers speak of the opposite of what should be the normal lifestyle of every believer who is pleasing God. In Ephesians 6, 6, Paul uses the same two words, eye service and men pleasers, as he points out that instead of serving in this misleading way, they should serve as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from down deep in the soul. Paul literally begs with every believer, regardless of his position in life, to be honest faithful, and to always work to his full potential. Instead of trying to put up a good front and just to please men, Paul urges them to be believers who in singleness of heart are fearing the Lord. Again, the Greek word that is translated singleness has the basic idea of being single, giving attention directed toward one object or focusing on a given purpose. Paul is telling him that instead of putting up a false front before the eyes of men, their hearts should be singly focused on the Lord. Now let's compare Ephesians 6-7 with Colossians 3-22. I'm sorry. Uh, 6-7 says, With good will doing service as to God and not to men. And verse 23, Colossians 3:23, And whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. Whatever you do, you are to do it as if you were doing it for the Lord. The fact that you were slaves was minor. The important thing was they belonged to God. Their bodies were the temple of the Holy Spirit and they were to enthusiastically serve Him. Ephesians 6:8 knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth, the same shall he receive the Lord, whether he be a bond slave or a free slave. It does not make any difference whether the person is a slave or a free man. All we will be rewarded fairly according to their works. Okay, the last set of verses. Ephesians 6, 9, verses 4, 1. Colossians 4, 1. 6.9 reads, And you masters do the same things unto them, forbearing, threatening, knowing that your master also is in heaven, neither is there respect of persons with him. And in Colossians 4.1, Masters, give unto your servants that which is just and equal, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. First, Paul tells the masters to do the same things toward the slaves, because the masters are to do God's will out of their 
souls. God's will is for the masters so that they will treat their slaves right, fair, and reasonable. And in turn, the slaves are to be obedient to their masters. Second is Christian masters are to be self-controlled. Masters are not to tell their slaves that if they do or don't do so and so, that they will be certain of certain damage or punishment to all. In other words, according to what Paul is saying here, Christians are not to use the threat as a means by which to control or modify the behavior of others. The status of all believers in the body of Christ rests upon the one premise, which is the grace of God. That's it for this evening, and I really thank you for listening. The next time we're going to continue, we'll start with verse 1 in Philemon. Tony, thank you for posting this evening. Have a good evening, and I'm going to close with, in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, amen.